Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. How's everyone doing? Good, good. Welcome, welcome to Hope Brooklyn. My name's Russ. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, two other quick announcements before we jump into today's topic. Um, who has signed up for Electio Divina Journal? Yes, I know a lot of you. Um, this is the last Sunday to sign up. If you have signed up, you get to pick yours up today after service. It's gonna be right out there in the lobby. We got your names, we got a master list. So go out there, pick yours up. If you haven't had a chance to sign up yet, that's okay, we forgive you. We have a sign-up sheet there. Um, you can go out, put your name, information, pay the five bucks, and you can get your journal. We are gonna be going through this as a community over the next couple months. And the reason why we're gonna be doing that um, is because we are starting a new sermon series next week that we are calling The Way of Jesus. The Way of Jesus. Uh, the impetus behind it is quite simple. It came from a Richard Rohr line. He said, we cannot attain the presence of God. We're already in the presence of God. What's absent is awareness. That is to say, when we look at Jesus, we see the presence of God fully manifested in our world. It's available to us. His love that we just sang about, it's ours. It can be received. But to receive it, to enter into that way of life is costly and requires us taking steps, taking upon our lives certain practices. Um, one of those that I've been stepping into already this year is waking up super early, like at inordinate amounts of time in the morning. I get up now at 5.15. Some of y'all are like, I'm already at work at 5.15. I know, I know. Um, but I, this is new for me. I get up at 5.15. And what I do is I, I enter into spiritual disciplines. I, I do my Lectio Divina journal. Um, that's one of the perks of being a pastor. I already have one. Um, I, I, I pray, I read scripture. That's how I start my day. Um, and, and I had done that before, but I hadn't been as strict about it, as vigilant. And I kid you not, guys, at first, when I first started doing it, when that alarm went off at 5.15, and I'm one of those that I set the alarm on the other side of the room, so I have to get up and go turn it off. Um, when, it, when it went off at 5.15, I many times would turn it off, or I would, I would press snooze and go get back in bed for another 10 minutes, right? Or maybe 20 or 30. I'm not going to tell you how long. Now, though, over the last week, it goes off, and I'm immediately up. I spring up out of bed. Now, I'm not gonna say that's gonna happen to you. What I am saying is that this is what we find to be the case. When we start taking on new practices, uh, new ways of life, they're not easy at first because they're not natural to us. But if we stay at it, if we keep at it, suddenly it becomes more and more of our default setting. That's what the way of Jesus is all about. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. I know many of you, um, we've had conversations, and I know that there's this stirring happening in your hearts. It's happening outside of the church as well. There's something going on in the spiritual current right now. And I think God is, is moving. I think God is inviting people to take upon them a way of life to test him again and see if you will find rest. So what we're gonna do over the next couple, uh, next two months in this series is look at the practices that Jesus engaged in as he cultivated a way of life that made the presence of the Father um, very real, 
where he was constantly aware of it. We're going to do that too to see if we find rest for our souls. So that's next week. That's kicking off. Sign up for your Lectio Divina journal. There's about 40 left. Uh, And also sign up for the prayer calendar. We're going to be praying for one another throughout the month of February. There are only 19 prayer slots left. So get them while they're hot. All right. Um, But today we're going to be finishing the home series. We're going to be finishing home. We, we like to take the month of January at Hope Brooklyn to sort of have a little mini series to sort of cast us off into 2019 or into the new year. And we took uh, January 2019 to talk about home with this adage of home is where the heart is. Home is where the heart is. We've all heard that. What, what's, your, what's your heart most wants? What's your, your heart most desires, is most hungry for? We, we sort of, a couple weeks back, if you were here, We pulled out a Greek word, the telos, which is what ancient philosophers used to mean the goal, the end. That is what what, what we most desire is what is uh, what we're shaping our lives around, what is driving us forward. And we said that, you know, as as confusing as it is, your brain actually doesn't know what your telos is. You might think you know, but uh, your brain actually isn't where it's located. Your body knows what your telos is. Your body knows. So I might say I follow God, but if, if, or that he's what I most want, but when things happen, if I find that I respond with anger all the time or I'm constantly anxious or, or irritable, then I probably should conclude that that's not actually what's at the center of my heart. That's not what I'm ordering my life around. Blaise Pascal said, no matter whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're religious or not, it doesn't matter. You can't not have a home. You can't not have something that you're ordering your life toward. And we made the claim that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus is home in the flesh. He is what our hearts have all been made for, which is why when we look at his story, we're so compelled by him and we're so refreshed by him And if we're being honest, we're so disoriented and made uncomfortable by him too because we see something we don't see anywhere else. We see a human being fully alive. We see a human that that, that we don't see in in the historical books. And I think it's because he is the creator in the flesh. He is the one our hearts were made for. So we started by saying, we need to come home. We need to take upon us the way of life, the practices that would pursue Jesus and actually see if we find rest. As G.K. Chesterton said, it's not that Christianity um, has been tried and found wanting. It's rather it's been found difficult and never tried. So we wanna try it this year. And then the last two weeks we talked about what does it mean to make Brooklyn home or to make Hope Brooklyn home? These are two communities where we can feel at home and what that means, but we can only feel that in their proper place. We can only experience some semblance of rest or refreshment when ultimately the primary place of home for us is God. It's been a really powerful January, I think. God's been doing something in me. I know he's been stirring in you as well. He's been inviting us into these spaces. He's been inviting us into uh, steps that he wants us to take as we cast off into 2019. And so what I want to do on this last Sunday uh, of the home series is ask the question of how. How do we 
step into this way of life? What does it mean to make these places home? And so for our passage today, we're gonna read Joshua 4. Joshua 4, verses one through seven. Before we do that, I wanna give a little context. Um, The book of Joshua comes after Deuteronomy. I I get Joshua and Judges confused sometimes. It comes after Deuteronomy. It tells the story of Moses leading the people of Israel out of captivity, right? We did the paradigm series last year, um, if you were here for that. So Moses is leading Israel out of captivity. Uh, They wander in the desert for a while. They wander in the desert a lot longer than God intended because he realizes that their hearts aren't ready to enter the promised land. Moses ends up passing away. So does Aaron. So does that whole generation. So we have a brand new uh, Israelite generation. And now they're ready to cross the Jordan and enter into the promised land. So that's where the book of Joshua picks up. Joshua uh, is sort of, he takes Moses' place as the leader of Israel. And they're crossing the Jordan and they're entering into the promised land. And this, right as they're about to cross or right as they cross early on in the book in chapter four, this is the passage that we read. And I think this is important for us as we consider how to close the home series and how to step into the rest of 2019. So here's what we read. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe. Tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. And in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. I totally realized I left out the most important detail of the story. So they're going to cross the Jordan But the waters, it's it's a very thick river and they have hundreds of thousands of Israelites trying to cross. How are they gonna get across? Basically, God says, hey, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant and in that Ark is where the two uh, stone tablets that God gave Moses of the law, that's where they uh, resided. He tells the priests, go step into the Jordan. And when you step into the Jordan, the waters will part, which is a really bold and risky move because there's hundreds of thousands of people If they step into the Jordan and the waters don't part, they don't have a plan B. They don't know what they're going to do. But that's exactly what happens. The priests carrying the ark, they step into the water. And as soon as their feet touch the water, the Jordan begins to part. Just like the Red Sea when they came out of Israel. And they cross through Israel does and enter into the promised land. So it's at that point, after this miracle, the waters part. The priests are still standing in the middle of the Jordan all of Israel's passing through. And then God tells Joshua, quick, choose 12 men, one from each of the 12 tribes, have them go back into the Jordan River and choose a stone. And we're gonna make a memorial together. God has Israel erect a memorial. Memorials are public signs of memory, aren't they? Uh, Of something that just happened. 
They, they're commonly statues, right? When we think about memorials, we think about statues, objects where a group of people can pull together their collective grief or their collective rage or their collective joy, these extreme emotions after an extreme event, like a war or something traumatic. And memorials are that, they absolutely are. But I also wanna make the claim today that memorials are a lot you know, more ordinary things too. Memorials are the contract you sign, accepting a new job. That's a memorial that you're erecting, a sign of memory, that you are stepping into a new reality. You're crossing something. You're transitioning into a new place. Uh, memorials can be the down payment you make on a house. They can be the one-way ticket you buy to a destination. The, the I'm sorry note you write to your friend. The first dollar of a new business. Memorials are all these things. They're these moments of transition and these, these public signs, objects, that memorialize that something has shifted in your life. Something has changed. You've crossed something. I want to say, metaphorically, memorials are like punctuations, right? They end one sentence. They allow us to begin a new one. Now, the sentences are related, and the second, if it's a, a coherent story, the second should build off of the first, but they're two distinct ideas, and that's important. Memorials are imperative to our own stories. They're pauses that allow us to breathe, allow us to take stock, and allow us to move forward. God has Israel erect a memorial right after they cross through the Jordan River and before they journey further into the promised land. And I wanna look at memorials today and ask why that's the case and what they mean for us. Because as we move into the rest of 2019, friends, we need to make a memorial together. We need to erect one. I think that's what God is inviting us all into and different ones, but he's inviting us to take a step. So three things, when I consider a memorial, three things stand out to me about it. Memorials help us to remember, they help us to dream, and they help us mark the journey. They help us to remember, they help us to dream, and they help us mark the journey. I wanna look at all three of these. First, memorials help us to remember. Notice in verse six, when, when God says, this is why, Israel, you're building a memorial. He, he says, um, so that this may be a sign in your midst. The Hebrew is a little more wooden. It's kind of like in the middle of you all. This is a thing that stands in the middle of you all. He has Israel create a tangible historical symbol by which everyone, all the Israelites can throw their memories and their emotions onto it. Why do we need tangible historical symbols. Why? Well, I think the answer for that is the verse right before, where he says, cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you lift up one stone on his shoulder. That is to say that no time passes between Israel crossing over and God saying, okay, do it now, build a memorial. Why do we need to remember? Because humans forget very easily, don't we? It's the reason we keep journals. Journals are memorials. 
It's the reason we take pictures. Photos are memorials. Just the other day, Anna and I were, were looking on our phones and we had saved old voicemails between the two of us when we were dating. If you ever want to cringe, go listen to yourself in an old voicemail when you're like starting to fall in love. You like start, you're like, okay, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. It is, ugh. But it's a memorial, right? Because I hear that, I hear this historical, tangible voice. And I am reminded, I remember that there was a period in my life when that Russell felt that way. When that Russell sounded like that. Memorials help us to remember. Because I had forgotten. Apparently my southern accent was a lot thicker a couple years back too. I didn't know. They help us to remember because we forget so easily. And not just that we forget but we reinterpret, don't we? Did it really happen like that? Give it a little time, give it a little distance. Did it, did it really happen like that? Was the sky as blue as I remember? Did I really have an experience, that transcendent moment, or was it just all in my mind, right? We reinterpret. I just went to go see Mary Poppins Returns um, with, with Anna and Alicia recently, and it was good, it was good. Um, and what's so fascinating about it is it deals, Mary Poppins, she returns, spoiler alert, um, and, uh, and, and Jane and Michael, who are the two kids from the first one, they're grown up now. And what's fascinating is that they remembered when she was there the first time. They remembered the magic of, of, of you know, experiences with her. They've just now reinterpreted it. They've sort of discounted it and said, oh, it was just childish imagination. It's not that they don't have the memories of what happened. They've reinterpreted how it happened, why it happened. And there's a fascinating scene where toward the end, everyone sort of gets a balloon. It's sort of reminiscent of when they fly a kite together in the first one. I don't know if you remember the movie, but they, they get a balloon and they start floating and flying again. And then the balloon lady, she's standing beside Mary and she goes, the adults will forget by tomorrow. And Mary Poppins goes, they always do, which is so true. We need memorials because we forget. And not just that we forget, but we reinterpret. We say, ah, I don't know if it happened like that. And just so you know, the life of faith has extreme moments of mountaintop experiences, but those are rare. Those are the moments. And then we have valleys that last a lot longer. Israel, they had just had 40 years in the desert. 40 years that suggested God is one way, that suggested the world is one way, that suggested this is normal. And then they had a moment of a miracle where they passed through. What's more real? Because give it another 40 years and maybe they'll be like, well, did it actually happen like that? Maybe there's just some currents that day. Do you know what I mean? We reinterpret things. Uh, some of y'all are aware of my story. God's been doing something really unique in me over the last nine months or so. And interestingly enough, it all started at a conference last um, April. So I guess eight months. And I went back and I read, because uh, I journaled. I had a journal entry uh, when, when sort of this all started. And I went back and I read the journal entry in preparation for this. And it was astonishing to me how many details I had already forgotten. I mean, I remembered the broad strokes and I remembered the moments because I, I built a memorial off of it. But when I went back and read, there were so many details I had forgotten. We forget 
and we reinterpret. So memorials help us to remember. Notice, God meets both of those requirements. He has Israel erect a memorial immediately. No time passes, no chance to like forget what just happened. Those waters just parted when the priests carrying the ark stepped into it. You can't forget that. And I don't know if you caught this, Joshua told the people, the representatives, to go into the river and pick up a stone. River stone is gonna be different than non-river stone. It's gonna be weathered, it's gonna be eroded. He has them pick it up from the spot where the waters parted, just so now Israel cannot reinterpret this because they see 12 river stones piled together, 12 smooth stones. There's no way they can forget or reinterpret. Those waters parted. Martin Luther writes, every morning, get up, wash your face and remember your baptism. Wash your face and remember your baptism. Remember, do not forget and do not reinterpret that there was a moment when God moved on you so powerfully that you had to respond by also going through the waters. Some of you in this room, you need to take the step of baptism. You need to take the step. You need to surrender, relent, and move closer. And how do you know if that's you? Well, if there's something that stirs up inside of you when I talk about it, that's you. <laughs> so that you don't forget, so that you don't reinterpret. We're gonna be having a baptism class in just two weeks and then a baptism sometime this spring. Can you remember your baptism? Can you remember what it was like that there was this historical, tangible memorial when you passed through the waters, when you took a step? If not, then I encourage you to come. I encourage you to sign up outside after this, after the service. Maybe that's just your step. Maybe you're not sure about baptism yet, but you'll, you'll take a step to come to the class. Maybe that's it. Awesome, build a memorial. So first thing, memorials help us to remember. The second thing memorials do, they help us to dream. They help us to dream. So God says, this is gonna serve as a sign in the midst of you all. But then he goes on in verse seven and we, we read this. We read, should your children ask you in the future, saying, what are these stones to you? What do they mean? you shall say that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Lord's covenant. When it was crossing over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off and these stones became a memorial for the Israelites forever. So memorials are not just signs for you to remember. They're also a sign for your children to shape their lives. Erecting a memorial is building a new world, one that is shaped by what just happened. Because now what's gonna happen? A generation of Israelite children are gonna grow up, children who did not cross through the Jordan River, who did not participate in that miracle. And they're gonna see these stones. They're gonna say, hey, mom, hey, dad, what was this? What happened? And then the parents are gonna have a chance to tell their children the story of when God parted the river. And that story is gonna shape their identity. That story is gonna shape their worldview. Oh, ours is the God who parts the river. Ours is the God who leads us into the promised land. That helps them build a new world. We have this adage, we say it all the time. Those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it, don't we? 
But how can you learn from history unless you know the stories? How do you know the stories unless we write them down, unless we memorialize them, unless our parents tell it to us? That shapes what's possible and what's to come. Frederick Nietzsche writes, if you can't talk about something, you can't think about something. And I've found, I've been, I've been getting into Nietzsche a little bit recently. I agree with what a lot he says, just FYI. I think he and the Bible kind of sees the world the same way. The only thing I disagree is we get to 180 degrees, the different conclusions. But um, he, he sort of has this line where he goes, if you can't talk about something, you can't think about it. If you can't build a memorial truthfully, if you can't talk about what happened, you aren't done with it yet. You don't have closure. And if you don't have closure, friends, you cannot build something new. You cannot create a new world. Memorials are punctuations. If I can't put a period to a sentence, then I can't start a new sentence. It's just one long continuous idea. I still remember when uh, the first time I told Anna I loved her, which was a memorial, right? That is something historical, that is tangible. I was already feeling it. We were kind of long distance at the time and, and we got together um, in, in, in the fall, we were able to see each other. And um, I was feeling it, but, but to say it out loud, and, and I had never told a woman that I loved her before, uh, other than my mom. Um, and uh, so we're, we're sitting together and, and I was like, I have something to tell you. And she knew what was coming. And um, I go, I kid you not, guys, this is what happened. This is really what happened. And I'm looking at her and we're holding hands. And I go, I love. <laughs> I kid you not. I, I, that's what I did. That's what I did. And then I go, I go, I go, I love. <laughs> I did like two or three times. And she sort of starts smiling. And she's like, do you want me to say it? And I'm like, no, 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 I got this. I got this. I'm good. <laughs> Seriously. And then I go, finally, I sit there and I'm like, I held my breath, I'm like, I love you. <laughs> it was hard to say. It was hard to say. Why? Because it's costly. It's putting a punctuation. After that point, and she obviously, well, not obviously, but she said she loved me back. <laughs> At that point, we cannot go back to the first sentence where Anna and Russell were just sort of casual and dating and figure things out. A period has been placed and a new sentence has begun. Now, from this day forward, Anna and Russell have historically and tangibly said they love one another. Now, what comes, comes. I don't know what's going to happen. But now we cannot deny that there was a point in time where we loved each other. We said it out loud. That's why memorials are important. They help us to create a new world. They help us to start a new sentence. We can dream anew. This is also the danger of not memorializing something or being ambiguous, uh, ambiguous in our memorialization. There's a, there's a, as I was researching this, I came across a little book by Masha Gessen, uh, who's a Russian-American journalist and a fierce critic of Vladimir Putin, um, who wrote a little book called Never Remember. And she's also a staff writer for The New Yorker. And in this book, she's looking at a woman named Irina Flish, who was a Russian activist who spent decades trying to restore to public memory, that is to say, trying to build memorials to what terrible things happened under communist rule. This is what she writes. She says, it is wrong to see the problem as forgetfulness because forgetfulness presupposes remembering. 
and remembering had not happened. In Mrs. Flish's words, historical memory can exist only when there is a clear line separating the present from the past, but we don't have that break. There is no past, only a continuous present. In contrast to Germany, there was no reckoning. There was no Soviet Nuremberg. The chapter in Russia's history was never adequately memorialized so that a clean break could occur, so that a new sentence, building off of the previous one, could begin. Therefore, the sentence never ended fully. And we don't have to look to Russia as a, you know, growing up in America to see our own unreckoned past and our own conversation about memorials, flags, statues, and perhaps the danger of ambiguous memorialization. What does it mean when we tell our children the stories? What does it mean that America's history looks like this? Have we adequately memorialized it? Have we ended the sentence? And it matters, friends, because if we can't talk about it truthfully, we can't think about it truthfully. And if we can't think about it, that means we still have an outstanding debt in our collective consciousness. And where there's an outstanding debt, how can we truly start another chapter in our story? Or is it like Russia, it's just one long sentence. And now those examples are of extreme trauma, right? Extreme trauma, but it works the other way. It works with extreme joy as well. Um, my, my dad loves memorializing things. Like everything is a cause to memorialize. And we had this thing growing up, I have two brothers, and we had this thing every Christmas where he would give my mom like one of those um, big photo collages with the different, you know, you know, holes or you can put a picture and write a little caption. Every year from like the 1980s onward, uh, that was the last gift given on Christmas Day. And so if you go to my parents' house, we have this thing called like the Wall of Fame, which has every single one of them from 1980s onward. You can see the way the Joyce family evolved. You can see surgeries and sporting events and plays. You can see what was important to us as a family. You can see trips and hardships. You can see it all. Tangible historical signs of who this family is. And it matters, friends. They are the punctuation that allow us to write a new sentence. And when my kids go over to grandma and papa's house and they look at these photos and they say, tell me what it means. I will now get to tell them what kind of family they were born into. That matters. That will shape their worldview of why we do this instead of that and why we, we go here instead of there. Memorials allow us to build something new, to start a new chapter. So sign up for a Lectio Divina journal. Yeah, I'm throwing that in there again. Sign up. Let it sit on your coffee table. Engage in it. And when your children ask or your friends ask, why do you have this? Tell them, because something happened in me. God moved within me. I don't know what it means. I don't know where it's going. I just know I had to memorialize it today. Otherwise, if I don't, if I just let it exist in my heart, I will forget or I will reinterpret. I can't build anything new. That will happen. Memorials help us to, to dream to build something new, to start a new sentence. 
And lastly, they help us to remember, they help us to dream. Memorials help us mark the journey. I don't know if you caught this, but when Israel crosses the Jordan and they build a memorial right there, that's simply their campsite. They still have a long way to go into the promised land. They're not there yet. So they're not going to stay around that memorial. That memorial is going to stay right there, but they're moving on, which means memorials are mile markers. They're not trophies. It's a, it's a wall of fame, but it's not a final snap, snapshot. To build them, to end one sentence and to start another, is to say, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen in the promised land. All I know is that those waters parted and I did cross over. That did happen. What comes, comes. But this was real. When I told Anna I loved her, And it was so difficult for me to say. It's because there's a cost associated with it, isn't there? There's a cost. There's a risk associated with it. When I say I love you, I can't keep it secret anymore, right? Now there's a period in my history where Anna and Russell loved one another. I can betray that memorial. I can write another sentence that says now Russell no longer loves Anna. I can do that, right? but I cannot pretend or claim ignorance like there was never a time when I didn't love her, like it was never real. No, no, it was real, it happened, I have the memorial. Israel is crossing deeper into the promised land. They still have a lot of work to do. And there might come a day where they just sort of like, this is too much, this is all too much. I don't know what to do. And they might, they might, if they're human, they might turn around and and leave. They might say, hey, I don't want to go any further. This is good, and leave. But as they leave, guess what they're going to have to pass by? That memorial. They're going to have to pass by it. And they're going to have to recount what happened. Which means they can betray the memorial. They can keep leaving. But they can't say, oh, it never happened. If it wasn't there, perhaps they could reinterpret. Perhaps they could forget Perhaps it wouldn't be as costly. But when they put it there, there's no, it's, like, it's like crossing a bridge and then cutting the ropes. There's only one way to go now. Like I said, my dad loves building memorials. He memorialized everything as a kid. I'm not just talking about the, the photos. Um, for my brothers and I, we had this thing when we turned 18, which he called a man meal. And uh, what he would do is he'd invite different men in our lives, who older men who had a, had a role in shaping us. And we'd have a dinner together, and uh, he'd have each of the men present a book to, to me or to my brother or whoever. Um, it's kind of like a rite of passage. And in that book, they'd write an inscription. And this was supposed to be a memorial for me to remember our relationship, that this man cares for me. He shaped me, and I can depend on him. I was gathering stones My dad, he actually literally collected stones when he would go on trips and he'd come home after trips. He'd bring back little rocks. Seriously, my brothers and I, we didn't care about rocks, but he'd bring them back and he'd write write the date and where he went and where he got it from. Um, He he actually did this thing where um, when, when 
when we were growing up, my dad works for the YMCA. And so we were growing up, there was a program, a father-son program uh, called Indian Guides. Just so you know, the name has been changed. Um, but it was called that then. And it was, it, was, it was basically like you got a little vest and, and, and headdress and uh, you did projects with your dad. And you, you sort of gathered badges. Uh, so at our rehearsal dinner, Anna's and my rehearsal dinner, he had saved it and he brought it out. It didn't really mean that much to me. <laughs> that was just one part of my life, but it meant a lot to him. My dad loves memorializing things. And when I was thinking about why that's the case, I think it's because his dad didn't memorialize things. My grandfather died when my dad was 17. I never met him. Um, and I've asked my dad about him. They were, his mom and dad were separated growing up. And I've asked my dad about him. And he only has like two or three memories of his dad. Two or three memories where like his dad went outside the norm, above and beyond, to spend time with him, to memorialize something, to make it historical and tangible. And so my dad grew up always wondering about what his dad thought of him. See, memorials, memorializing things are important because it makes historical and tangible what's inside our hearts. I'll have a lot of questions about Tim Joyce when he, when he goes. A lot of things in our relationship. One thing I will never question is whether my dad loved me. One thing I will never question is whether, what my dad thought about me because I have the rocks and I have the books and I have the headdresses and the photos that he saved, making sure that I would never doubt in my heart what he thought about me. He's glad I'm alive. My dad loves me and I'm so lucky to have that. Memorializing things matters. It can't just exist in our minds. It has to exist in our bodies too. Otherwise, we guess at it. Otherwise, we're not sure. And listen to what I'm saying. I don't know what's going to happen when you do it. When you take a step, an embodied step, when you stop letting it exist in your, in your brain, but actually put it and enshrine it into history. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know nothing new can happen unless you do so. Whatever happens after that happens. But there was a moment in time when it was real, where something new could begin. I will never question whether my dad loved me. I know what he thinks about me. I have all the objects and the memorials that testify to it. Friends, God asked Israel to build a memorial. And he asked us to build a memorial. And that's not arbitrary. God asked us to, to make what is inside of us historical and tangible because God has built a memorial. Jesus is God's living memorial. Up until Jesus of Nazareth comes onto the scene, we, we have stories of God saying he loves us and we have words from the prophets and we have even little moments like this where the people cross the water. But we don't have a true final defining memorial. There's still room for us to ask questions. Well, what does God really think about me? To forget, to reinterpret. There's still not a full cost to be paid. 
But when God steps into time as a human being, when he enters and limits his power as a humble servant, when he goes to death for us, at that point, friends, you can never doubt again what God thinks about you. He loves you enough to die for you. Now, you don't have to accept it. You don't have to receive it. You can betray it even, but you can't question whether God loves you. Look at the cross. That is God saying, enshrining into historical, tangible memory that my love for you is eternal and everlasting. So we can sing songs about drowning in grace, that it's so deep, his love is so wide, not because he says it is, but because we can see it in our history, which is why we memorialize the cross. We have crosses that we look upon that remind us that God stepped into history, that God became tangible. I know it's terrifying to say out loud, I love you. (laughs) Believe me, I do know. I know it's terrifying to take a step, to make something historical, to make it tangible, to enshrine it as a moment in your story. Because you can betray it. You can. But you can't claim ignorance anymore. You can't convince yourself that it never was because you've taken the photo to prove it. You've written the journal entry. It did happen. It was real. And it's costly. I said it out loud and Anna heard me say it out loud. I can't go back. What comes will come, but it happened. And it's the only thing, friends, the only thing that allows us to start a new sentence for something new to come. I don't know what that new thing will be, but it's the only thing that allows it. And when Jesus becomes the living memorial, you better believe that a new sentence begins in our world. A new sentence starts. The new family of God. As we finish home, and I want to invite the the band back up at this point. As we finish the home series and we step into 2019, I want us all to take stock of what's been going on in our lives, of where God's been at work in our hearts, what he's done in us. And I want to invite us, I want to challenge us to erect a memorial, to take a step. It's time to make a tangible historical moment of what's been going on, to say it out loud. And again, I don't know what's going to happen. I just know nothing new can happen unless you do it. That's what I know. There's a scene, there's a, there's a movie. It's a really bad movie. It's got really great music. Uh, the Greatest Showman. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, apparently I learned that uh, it's very historically inaccurate. Um, P.T. Barnum was not that great of a guy. Uh, Hugh Jackman is. But, um, <laughs> but there's a scene in it. It tells the story of P.T. Barnum and, uh, who started um, uh, the circus, or Barnum and Bailey's. And he's building, you know, the circus and... What happened? It's a very classic, kind of stereotypical tale. Like we, we can guess what happens. He says he's built his telos, his home. It's sort of this inclusive family, but it's not really the case um, because his 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 life evidences it. What his real telos is is acceptance and approval from his peers. 
And so as the, the circus grows in popularity, he sort of goes off the deep end, he loses everything. You know, it's, it's a very classic story. But there's a scene toward the end of the movie where he's in a pub and he's at rock bottom and his friends are around him and he's starting to contemplate all this. And he looks at the, um, the photos on the wall and he sees the photo of his family and it overcomes him and he has this moment of remembrance. He remembers and he knows that he has to take a step. And he sings this song and it's like this super epic song where they're like singing, you know, from now on, these eyes will not be blinded by the light. And then everyone's like, hurrah! And uh, they're dancing and there's like percussion. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, put me in coach, I am ready to go. Because the dance is awesome. That would have been a bad idea if they put me in. Um, but it's incredible. And he's like, let this, let this promise in me start like an anthem in my heart from now on, from now on. And then he takes off. He leaves. And he runs after the train. He's erecting a memorial. He's erecting a memorial. Because now there will never be a time where he can claim ignorance. No, no, no. P.T. Barnum chased after a train to go back to his family. From now on, these eyes will not be blinded by the light. From now on, what's waiting till tomorrow? No, starts tonight, starts tonight. Let this promise in me start Like an anthem in my heart From now on From now on From now on We will come back home memorial and we'll remember what our home is. We'll end one sentence and we'll start a new one. As we step into 2019, friends, that's the invitation. I don't know what's going to happen. I just know nothing new can happen unless you do so. Nothing. Let's step into it. Let's build a memorial. I want to invite you to pull out your phones. I know, right? Pull out your phones. Because I'm going to put a couple things on the screen, a couple options, a couple memorials that we can build. 
to take a step, whether spiritually or as it relates with Brooklyn or as it relates with Hope Brooklyn. Maybe one of these is right for you. Maybe they're all right for you. I don't know. But as we offer these up, listen for the stirring in your heart and take the step. It's the last time I'm going to talk about it. Lectio Divina journals and prayer calendar. If you've already signed up, as soon as we finish service, they're out there, go pick them up. We have people who will be able to give them to you. If you have not signed up, sign up. You can sign up right outside after service. Get one. Start ordering your days, your mornings around these passages, around prayer. It's very self-explanatory. We're gonna start it. Once you get it, you can start it this week, but we're gonna start it all together in a big kickoff next Sunday. Take the step. Take a step. See what happens. Build a memorial. Sign up for prayer as well so that people will be praying for you on a particular day. I can tell you what happens if you don't sign up. Nothing. Nothing. We're having a baptism this spring. And we're having a baptism class in two weeks. Two weeks time. How do you know if it's right for you? What is your heart saying? Can you remember your baptism? Is there something stirring inside of you that you feel like God is inviting you into the next step? And you don't know what that means, but you know you just can't stay here. You have to build a memorial to continue in the next stage of the journey. Well, just come to the class, check it out. Two ways you can do that. We'll have a sign up after service, or you can just text your name and email to that number and we'll get your information and we'll send you an email. Two weeks time, February 10th, right after service, we're gonna have a class that I'm gonna lead. Build a memorial. Alicia preached two weeks back about wanting to be good neighbors in Brooklyn, about wanting to, to not just take, but also to give, to plant. What does that look like? Well, we have a safe families um, info session right after service today. Go to that, build a memorial, take a step. We're about to launch in two weeks time. Maybe you remember we did this last year, the round table. The round table is Hope Brooklyn's uh, version of membership. But instead of learning about like the doctrine of the church, instead we look at uh, the intersection points of our lives. So it's four sessions two in February and two in March. And by the end of it, I teach them, by the end of it, we're gonna look at what is the gospel? What is the city where we live? Who are you? How have you been made? And then what is Hope Brooklyn? And what is God inviting us into? So by the end of it, you'll have answers to all four of those questions. You'll know who you are. Hopefully you'll know better who you are. You'll know what this city is. You'll know the gospel and you'll have a place to live that out in Hope Brooklyn and the vision God's given us. If you've been sort of coming for a bit and you're like, all right, I need to find the relationship. I need to take the next step. What is that? This is it. Sign up for the round table. There's also a sign up outside after service. And lastly, lastly, we are gonna take, we're gonna make a memorial today as a community. So 
we have a survey that we created. Now, before you all freak out, it is an anonymous survey. It is anonymous, okay? But we want to test God this year as Hope Brooklyn. We want to see if we actually start doing the things, if we put in practice the things that would make him home, make Hope Brooklyn home, make Brooklyn home. If we do the things in one year time, will we find rest? If we do Lectio for an entire year, for six months, will that start changing things in our hearts? Will we start waking up at 5.15 a.m., jumping out of bed? Some of you are like, nope, not gonna happen. <laughs> so what I wanna do is I wanna take the next minute, and I know service can be spotty in here. Um, if you're on Hope Brooklyn's email list, you received an email in your inbox. So go to your inbox, pull that open if you have service. If you're not on Hope Brooklyn's email list, what are you waiting for? Fill out a connection card, duh. But also, here's the, the web address. And we're gonna take a minute and we're gonna take this anonymous survey, which asks, it's like, you know, it's super short, ask a couple questions of where you are spiritually and where you wanna go, if at all. And then we're gonna take another one in a year from now and see what's happened. If you don't have service, take it later. <laughs> take a picture of this. Take it later. Let's do it. Father, I thank you that we don't have to wonder what you think about us. We can see Jesus. We see the historical, tangible human who came, who lived, who died as demonstration of your deep love for your world. That you would undergo anything from our hands, even violence, rather than lift your hands and destroy us. We don't have to question what you think about us, because we have the memorial that reminds us. And Lord, as we step into 2019 together as a community, would you speak to each person here? Would you call them to another level? No promises of what's gonna be there. We don't know. We just know we can't stay here. We have to take a step. And then when they do, Father, would you meet them and give them rest as you promised and as you have done? Would you strengthen our faith? Would peace be what 
fills our hearts and trust and faith rather than anxiety and fear and self. We want to take that step together as a community, Lord. Hope Brooklyn's your church. And as we do step, and not just in our minds, but in our bodies, as we start doing the things, Lord, would you meet us? Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts, and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.